ordinariness. And the future, of course, is just a dream, a bare dream. And so that might lead us to conclude that our present moment existence is also a dream. So it's a dream in which we're the Buddha of this moment. So today I want to expand on or comment on a little bit uh, a koan <clears throat> that we read Monday evening in our, uh, in our depth and practice reading and uh, because it's a very provocative and, <clears throat> and also very unusual. And it's called Baijong and the Wild Fox. So I'm just going to read it to you because uh, that's the easiest way. <clears throat> this is in the translation by Guo Gu in this book, uh, Passing Through the Gateless Barrier. I like his translations. Baijong and the Wild Fox. This is case two. Every time Baijong taught, there was an old man who followed the congregation to listen to Dharma talks. When the congregation dispersed, so would the old man. Unexpectedly, one day this elderly man stayed behind, so Baijong approached him. Who is it that stands before me? The old man said, I'm actually not human. In the time of the ancient Buddha Kashapa, when I was dwelling here on this very mountain, a student asked me, does a person of great practice still fall into cause and effect or not? I replied that he does not fall into cause and effect. As a consequence, I have been condemned to be a fox for 500 rebirths. I now ask you, Master, for a turning phrase so as to release me from being a wild fox. Then he asked, does a person of great practice still fall into cause and effect or not? Baishang said, he is not deluded about cause and effect. At these words, the old man was greatly awakened. He bowed in reverence and said, I have now shed this fox's body behind the other side of the mountain. Please, master, give me a funeral service due to a dead monk. Baijang ordered the rector to pound the gavel to summon the assembly and announced to them, after we eat, we shall hold a funeral for a dead monk. The congregation was puzzled and began to discuss the matter among themselves. They went to the infirmary, but there was no one sick there. They wondered why Baijang was acting like this. After their meal, Baijang led the congregation to a cliff on the other side of the mountain where he used his cane and dragged out the body of a dead fox from a crevice in the rocks. They then formally cremated the body as they would a monk's. That night, Baijong ascended up to the Dharma Hall and related the full story of what had happened. Wang Bo then asked, one wrong reply and this old man was condemned to be a fox for 500 rebirths. If his reply had been correct, then what? Baijong said, come here and I'll tell you. Wang Bo then went up and gave Baijong a good slap in the face. Baijong clapped his hands and laughed and said, I knew the Western barbarian's beard was red, 
but didn't know that red was the beard of the barbarian. Puzzling, isn't it? So uh, the question is really, when enlightened, does a person is a person still subject to cause and effect? <clears throat> Do they still create karma? Um, and, and Bai Zhang's answer is he or she is not deluded about cause and effect. <clears throat> so what does it mean to, to not be deluded about cause and effect without falling into cause and effect? So this is a very important teaching in Buddhism. Uh, and so our understanding of cause and effect, our own understanding of cause and effect, drive absolutely everything. We use that uh, model of cause and effect that we uh, hold to, to explain, predict, and control. So at the personal level, um, in our meditation, we have this linear view of if I do this, then that will happen. <clears throat> if I meditate, I'll be calm, or I won't be sad, or um, I'll be enlightened. Uh, but there's this view, there's this cause. Meditation is the cause of something that I want to have happen. Of course, for anyone raising children, <clears throat> uh, you know the failure of the linear model of causation. Why won't the baby go to sleep? How does a child learn to read? Why can't I make my teenager listen to me? How can I make sure my child gets into the right college? And on and on, you begin to realize it's not a simple linear path from cause to effect. In organizational terms, we, we create projects and plans and goals, but they're always subject to disruptions and unanticipated consequences. And we begin to discover the complexity of cause and effect when we're trying to achieve or attain a certain goal. We've seen this in public policy and we've seen it in world predicaments like climate change and the pandemic and poverty and racial injustice. <clears throat> Our Western linear equation is that A causes B. B is caused by A. No A results in no B. This is our conventional misunderstanding and it, it comes from our sense of cause as a power relation. A has some power to cause B. So there's a long um, tradition, actually, um, uh, of views of cause and effect, long philosophical arguments and long uh, even religious arguments. Going back even before the Buddha's time in the Vedic uh, tradition, uh, the belief was that the effect pre-exists in the cause. So the effect represents the potency that's inherent in the cause and unfolds from it sequentially. Um, as they described it as curds from milk or as rain from clouds. As such, effects and transformations represent new guises from the old. So everything's created from the power of the old. So change is seen as that which obscures the real and deludes the mind. So <clears throat> that's in the Vedic tradition. But there were alternative views uh, um, and they also uh, had a lot of uh, popularity um, uh, the material, so one alter, alter, or alternative view to this is the materialist deterministic view, which is also the view of conventional science. Events are explained in terms of the inherent properties of matter. The reality they presented, instead of appearing chaotic and random, adhered to a strict determinism, 
which uh, Johanna Macy calls the remorseless juggernaut of material inevitability. So <clears throat> the way things are caused is by the coming together of these material causes. An alternative to that at the time was uh, accidentalism, which is um, the soul and the world arise without a cause. Uh, we have some of this in uh, contemporary thinking in this notion that everything is relative and everybody's opinion is as good as anybody else's. <clears throat> so there were these fourfold views that can sort of be summarized as things, so, so um, effects are self-caused, they're externally or other caused, or both or neither. So here's an example. We can see these beliefs in causality in our own experience. For example, a child, our child is struggling in school. How we understand this struggle will typically fall into one of these four camps. For example, first, he's not making enough of an effort. Second, the school assigns too much homework. The third view, he and the teacher do not get along. The fourth view, it's just a random issue without a cause. So parents, none of these is the cause and we create suffering when we don't realize that. So there's a way to view this predicament, child struggling in school, um, from uh, the perspective of a chemist. So some uh, hormonal imbalance in the brain, brain chemistry is to blame, and so that necessarily suggests, right, a chemical solution. So we'll give the child some Ritalin or something to help them focus. You could look at it from the uh, point of view of a psychologist and say, well, he has unresolved uh, psychological issues, and so he really needs therapy, and talk therapy is gonna be helpful, or CBT or some other form of therapy because this is a psychological issue. You could view it as um, an educational issue, like this child is not being challenged enough as bored or um, some pedagogical reason. Uh, the lesson plans are not structured in a way that meets his learning style needs. You can look at it in a sociological way. He hangs out with a bad group of kids and they don't value getting good grades or succeeding in school and so therefore, so on and on and it goes, right? Um, we can uh, get ourselves into a real tangle uh, trying, to, um, trying to figure out what's happening in this situation that's causing it. But when we do this, we create suffering when we don't realize the complexity and the dependent origination of causes. So we, in this way, instead of just looking at the situation openly, uh, we're deprived of creative processes for discovery and for creating the causes and conditions for successful learning. So typically in situations like this, even the, even the person involved, even the student involved doesn't really understand what's causing the struggle. Buddha's teaching was a complete departure from all of these causal models. Uh, his teaching, which he, the term for which is paticca samuppada, is the teaching of dependent co-arising. So I'm gonna give you a little bit of a taste of Joanna Macy's writing about this because it's so, um, it's so very, very important. It's so central to the Buddha's teaching. Buddhist thought, she says, offers a uniquely relevant perspective. Its vision of interdependence, presenting reality as a dynamic interaction of mutually conditioning events, posits no prime cause or unconditioned absolute to which occurrences can be traced in a linear fashion. So we can't 
we can't work our way back to the first cause, right? This causal vision, known as paticca samuppada, or dependent co-arising, underlies the Buddhist perception of the human predicament and of the liberation that is possible. It constitutes the intellectual content of the Buddha's enlightenment. That part of his transforming intuitive realization that can be expressed in conceptual terms. It represents that character of reality, that truth about the universe to which Gautama awoke. The Buddha would say many times in his teachings, whoever sees Paticca Samuppada sees the Dhamma. Whoever sees the Dhamma sees Paticca Samuppada. It was absolutely central. So in this view, reality appears as a dynamically interdependent process. All factors, mental and physical, subsist in a web of mutual causal interaction with no element or essence held to be immutable or autonomous. Understanding this is important because it is held our suffering is caused by the interplay of these factors and particularly by the delusion, craving, and aversion that arise from our misapprehension of them. So, <clears throat> Macy continues. The reifications we construct, the thingness of things, falsify experience, imprison us in egos of our own making, doom our lives to endless rounds of acquisition and anxiety. Being so caused, our suffering is not endemic. It is not inevitable. It can cease. The causal play reversed. Our hope hinges on no external agency, someone else to save us, but derives rather from the causal order itself, where self and act, project and perception, are mutually determining. Hence, liberation entails a vision of the dependently co-arisen nature of all phenomena. This vision, which amounts to a reorganization of personality, is made possible by the cleansing of perception through meditation and moral conduct. <clears throat> so, the Buddha's teaching of causality presents a radical contrast with the other views that were debated in his time in India. It departed from previous causal notions as much as the general systems view of causality does from traditional Western thought. So <clears throat> the Buddha cut through the debates about causation by focusing not on power, but on process. In Paticca Samuppada, he presented causality not as a function of power inherent in an agent, but as a function of relationship of the interaction of multiple factors where cause and effect cannot be categorically isolated or traced unidirectionally. No effect arises without cause, yet no effect is predetermined for its causes are multiple and mutually affecting. Hence, there can be novelty as well as order. Thus, Buddhist teachings presented a middle way between the positions of determinism and indeterminacy that had polarized the discussion of causality. 
So Macy says the centrality of this vision of causality to Buddhist thought and practice is not always obvious because Paticca Samuppada is not presented as a view that can be taught and learned in the conventional sense. Integral to the concept of dependent co-arising is the belief that at the preconceptions and predispositions of the mind itself shapes the reality it sees. This runs counter to the commonsensical notion of a world out there, distinct from and independent of the perceiving self. A genuine understanding of mutual causality involves a transcendence of the conventional dichotomies between self and world, a transformation of the way experience is processed, which amounts to an overhauling of one's most ingrained assumptions. Paticca Samuppada is not a theory to which one assents, so much as a truth one is invited to experience, an insight one is encouraged to win by virtue of disciplined introspection and radical attentiveness to the arising and passing away of mental and physical phenomena. The character of the reality, which can break through once false constructs, dichotomies, and attachments are dissolved, has been variously termed nirvana, emptiness, dharmadhatu, Buddha nature. It gives rise to bliss and compassion, for revealing the illusory nature of ego, it brings release from ego's strategies, cravings, and fears. Paticca Samuppada is considered the basis for right view in the Eightfold Path of the Four Noble Truths. So it's the very first phase of the Eightfold Path, understanding this dependent co-arising. In contemporary science, complexity theory and chaos theory are making similar discoveries. Uh, their goals and aims are not quite the same, as Joanna Macy points out. But their, uh, their understanding of this quality of dependent origination is parallel. So what's the problem for us? The lure is that the linear model dies hard. It has simplicity, it has utility, and we'll, we're filled with apparent examples of this caused this. This caused the breakup of my marriage, this caused, you know. Um, and we keep mapping it onto reality and we keep failing to account for reality just as it actually is. So I'm gonna go into this in a little bit more detail in uh, our present predicament, which conveys a sense of urgency as well as individual and social trauma. So there's a lot of suffering tied up in that. And that is <clears throat> our present predicament of this pandemic. So what causes a pandemic? Well, we might say the coronavirus, but the coronavirus is not new. Uh, it's not even an entity uh, that's living or, or not living. It's, uh, it occupies a unique space in our public imagination. Uh, there uh, in the visual images and representations that have been created of it. Um, so our, un, our, our sense that, uh, oh, this virus is causing this pandemic. But that's not strictly true. The virus has been around a long time. So 
we have to also deal with contagion then. It's not just the existence of a virus, but the contagion. So this virus has uh, a certain adaptation, which is that it can be transmitted by people who are asymptomatic for a long time. So that has enabled it to be uh, very successful in evolutionary terms. But contagion itself is dependent not only on the adaptation of the virus, but on our individual behaviors, on our social mobility, the fact that we move around and connect with each other, international travel, um, our beliefs. So we have certain beliefs about ourself uh, in this situation, pandemic situation, and some of those beliefs are bound up in a notion of rights, my rights, um, my responsibilities to others, uh, my vulnerability or invulnerability, uh, my, so all kinds of beliefs about myself uh, create factors, causal factors in this pandemic, my experience of it, my beliefs about others, social norms, tribal connections, their judgments, uh, transmission, uh, their responsibilities, and care for others. They're all part of what's bound up in this notion of contagion. We have beliefs about governments, about oppression, about power, about leadership, about abandonment, about trust, about resources. Um, we have beliefs about media. These are all causal factors that are contributing to what we call pandemic. We have beliefs about media. Are they truthful? Are they accurate? Are they biased? Which ones are reliable? Which ones can't be trusted? We have beliefs about science, about its validity and credibility and infallibility. And there are differences in those beliefs. And that has spawned you know, a whole set of uh, constructs and languages, vaccines, immunity, blood, lungs, systemic failures, virus, DNA, disease, contagion, public health, statistics. All these um, terms from science become part of the public uh, imagination. We have beliefs about history, about past pandemics, about social movements, about protests. Um, and so, um, so this leads us to, you know, thinking about, well, how do we get a grip then? How do we get a grip on this pandemic? Uh, we necessarily uh, begin to go into our linear causal mode where we want to explain, predict, and control. So we want to explain um, and, uh, what it is, how it functions, what causes it, and the more explanations we have, the more mysterious this phenomenon is. No explanation serves to make either the pandemic or the virus that contributes to it comprehensible. And so we struggle. And we struggle in particular because we need to explain in order to predict. Um, and we wanna predict where and for whom and when uh, this impact is going to be felt. All of our predictions have been utter failures. We're stymied and horrified by these failures. And that means we've failed to control, right? Our measures from, for control have been complete failures. Even with the greatest minds, the largest supercomputers, the most sophisticated scientific infrastructures and technologies working nonstop on this predicament. So <clears throat> our control is our attempt to prevent the spread, which we 
you know, we encourage people to wear masks and uh, to engage in social distancing and hand washing. This is our attempt to control by prevention, our attempt to control by preventing sickness and death. And a vaccine is our idea about how we can prevent. We also try to control by treating. We treat the symptoms, we treat populations, we test and so forth. And we try to control social consequences. Um, so such things as job loss, businesses lost, relationships changing, shift uh, to everything happening online, educating children, entertainment, sports, media, cultural activities like museums and art galleries, concerts, uh, social events like weddings and funerals and birthdays, unrest and protest, um, all these social consequences, we have not brought this pandemic under control. Knowledge is not control, prediction is not control, explanation is not control, and it's beginning to dawn on us that we are not in control of even the most basic pieces of this larger picture. Wearing a mask, maintaining social distance, washing our hands, we can't even control to that extent. So, and this is only one of the predicaments we're in the middle of right now, only one. So, <clears throat> why was the old man turned into a fox? I was thinking about this and I was thinking when we, uh, when we engage in our reflections about cause and effect and our discussions about cause and effect, there's not really a problem with practitioner error. Um, and that's, what the, that's what's clear from the koan. The student asks a question, the student honestly is confused. Um, the error is in the teacher. So when you're teaching, we know this because it says a student asked. <clears throat> when you're teaching, there's a great danger that you're going to lead students astray. And, uh, you know, recently I've been talking about this concept of anukampa, of care, and the Buddha is saying that he has done what a teacher should do out of anukampa, out of care for the student. Do not lead students astray. So it's about care for the student. It's care for the Dharma. So um, in r teaching roles, we have a greater responsibility than just for our own personal you know, well-being or imagination. So the clue is in this response of Baijan. Do not be deluded by cause and effect. Do not be deluded by cause and effect. Don't imagine or posit a linear causal model onto reality. Don't make that mistake. So this is central in our teaching. Everything depends on it. Everything depends on understanding this, that, um, that effects can create causes, that causes um, can exist with no effects. Like all of these permutations of cause and effect are understandable only if you understand these things as mutually emerging. Um, and arising together. So, um, so I want to leave some time for breakout rooms. And the way I'd like to structure this is like, like we did last time with five minutes for each person. 
Um, and what I'd like you to do is, uh, so you can get be mindful about this, describe one situation, any kind of situation you found yourself in in the last 48 hours and its causes and see how many causes you can identify. So each person will speak for five minutes and the others simply listen. In the discussion following that, each person taking five minutes, let your partners help you discover any other causes they might notice in your situation. So, uh, so for the people that you're listening to, what you wanna be thinking about is, what other causes can I imagine contributing to this situation? or helping to create it. Does that make sense? People are kind of nodding. Um, so you're gonna be in groups of, uh, let's see, we have 30 people, so let's have 10 breakout rooms of three. Um, and we'll have, um, I think, probably, I would say 25 minutes, 25 minutes. That will give us a little time to come back together. So, yeah, so Anne will set us up unmuting us and letting us uh, come together. Thank you for having your video cameras on, by the way. It's so lovely to see your faces. We're starting um, Recovery Dharma. Oh, it's yes. It's we've read a couple memoirs um, in the past, and this is like the um, not manual, but the main book for a, a a movement that's called Recovery Dharma. It just split off from um, I think it was maybe Dharma Punks. Um, oh, uh -huh. it, but it's a pretty new or, pretty new organization in the scheme of things. So this will be interesting <laughs> to see what they've set up as their manual. Wonderful. These are some of the things that I think um, our Western practice of Zen makes a contribution to the Zen tradition mm -hmm. in ways like this. Um, this isn't really, this isn't even addressed in the traditional Zen mm -hmm. training and teachings. So it's wonderful that I think that um, the Dharma in the West is invigorating Zen and making this kind of contribution. Women in Zen is another one. Um, just not a concept in the traditional teachings. So, so, so wonderful. It so uh, enriches and expands the, the tradition. So, how did it go? It went great, but Anne was in the middle of a sentence that was right at the end that was really critical and that blew all our excuses out of the water. <laughs> All our causes. Would you would you talk about it, Anne? What Mr. Shakespeare said? I can't remember the quote or the play, but the fault, my dear somebody, is not lies not in our stars. But within ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. It's Hamlet. Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah, anything else, any discoveries or things you want to share from your group? Well, I, 
Lila shared that I discovered that there were two ways to look at the causes. It could be from your own thought about what the causes were and your own approach or, you know, or any of the ones you attributed to the other person in that scenario could be possible as well. So good. <laughs> yeah, this is becoming a perspectival, right? It's yeah. like, from another perspective, it looks like this. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Sometimes we think it's really obvious what the cause of something is. And then someone else says something and we're, you know, turned around completely. One thing I've thought about in terms of causes are, we, we label it a cause, but that cause could have happened with a different result. Mm -hmm. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, so that kind of, so is it, is it really a cause? Well, we would say no. We would say everything is a cause. So it's like we say, you know, the answer to every why question is because of everything else. Everything else in the universe is holding this in place. So you put a glass too close to the edge of a table and then it's knocked off. So what was the cause? Because another time you could have put it too close and it wouldn't be knocked off. That's right. That's right. So simple causa causation doesn't really work. Um, it's We like it because it simplifies things, right? Well, it works in a laboratory. <laughs> no, it doesn't even work in a laboratory. Every single experiment says all, all other things being equal. That is, there's always some interference in the data. Yeah, like we say in a vacuum. Right. Yeah, in a vacuum. But they don't even know that because they can't really run the experiment in a vacuum, for example. So, or they run it and it, you know, they have to account for other variables. So, so yeah. The, the phenomena that, that could conceivably be adequately explained by a linear causal analysis are so trivial as to be uninteresting to us because we're mostly interested in human problems, right? Yeah. How do they get caused? How do we prevent them? How do we treat them? How do we control them? So, so we, we're enamored of linear causation to the extent that even in Buddhist teachings, it got, it got woven back into the teachings later. The original teachings don't have any shred of it. And if you want to read the very best book on this topic, it's Mutual Causality and Buddhism and General Systems Theory. This is Joanna Macy's book. It's not lightweight reading. I mean, you heard some of it today, <laughs> but, but you just have to slow down. And when you slow down, it's so profound, it's kind of shocking. So, Marvel. So I, um, I don't expect an answer to this, but I, I have never experienced more of a cause and effect relationship of being turned into a fox for giving the wrong answer. <laughs> and not only turned into a fox, but for 500 lifetimes. So that's a pretty big effect. It's not, it's, not, it's not simply for giving a wrong answer. It's for giving a wrong answer to a student. Well, that, there goes your, that, that's your relationship. That's right. Part that's right. of it. That's right. You have a certain responsibility. And that responsibility is um, what got uh, 
challenged there. Joel. And it seemed to verify the answer, though. Right, that's, Joel. that's where I'm stuck. It seems to verify the answer. Uh, uh, Peg, I wanted to say, so at the end of the story, a student comes up having asked the teacher a question, and am I, did I hear it right that the, that the student gives, it, gives Baijong a slap? And Baijong uh, yeah. laughs? But the student doesn't ask the question, Baijong does. So, um, so, so how's it go? Um, okay, yeah, so then the students, this is Wang Bo, another very, very famous Zen ancestor. One wrong reply, and this old man was condemned to be a fox for 500 rebirths. If his reply had been correct, then what? And then Baijong says, come here and I'll tell you. It's always a kind of a pro provocation where it's your Zen teacher, right? <laughs> come here and I'll tell you. <laughs> so, so. But then, and what happens next? Who hits who? Um, Wang Bo hits his teacher, slaps his teacher in the yeah. face. So. You have to understand there's a very long tradition of um, if you don't know the answer, I'll give you 30 blows. So whereupon the teacher either does or symbolically does give the student 30 blows um, for not being able to come forth. Um, or nanchuan's, uh, if you say the word or I'll cut the cat, you know, and the monks stand there like tongue-tied. So that it's always about how you come forth and he preempts the teacher and does what the teacher would have done to him and that's how the teacher knows they have one mind so oh. yeah that so. Makes sense to me. what i don't understand <laughs> so Bajong didn't become a fox for 500 years no he didn't give any wrong answers okay but the man who slapped him became the fox no neither one of them became a fox that what they engaged in was the play of equals. Okay. Okay. Does that make sense? It does now, but yeah. I understand. It's how it's how Baijong knew that Wang Bo was as awake as he was. So which of them turned the other into the fox? That was that was before before that encounter. So that was okay. that was at the beginning uh, with the old man, just an old man who's nameless. Uh, who approaches Baijong and, you know, uh, he's, he's been listening to Dharma talks long enough to know that Baijong has some insight. <clears throat> he's hoping to get out of this continual rebirth as a fox, you know, like <laughs> waking up yet again, another birth as a fox. <laughs> so, and a fox is a, a, in um, Chinese traditional lore, is a shapeshifter. So he assumed the shape of an old man and sat in the back of the assembly uh, until he could determine that Baijong might be able to save him. Yeah. So it's a great koan to, to turn around in your, um, in your experience this week and think about what's really causing this? What's really causing this, you know? Um, yeah. So, and that goes for anything, whether it's a mood, this real, this unhappiness, you know, or this, uh, this anger, uh, or for uh, a glitch in a relationship, this misunderstanding, this problem we're having. Uh, you know, almost anything, you can just start looking and seeing how diverse the cause, the actual causes are. And if you, you know, take a piece of paper and start listing them. Uh, you know, among other things, a cause for you having a conversation with someone is that they eat food. 
because they eat food, they're, they, they live, you know? So because they, they had breakfast, that's one of the causes of you being able to have a conversation because they have a larynx, you know? The, the larynx shifted in evolution so that we could have speech. Uh, and so it's just like, you start, start listing the causes, go right ahead. You'll never come to the end of it. But it's fun because it, it does break you out of this idea of this causes this, right? Or even these two things have caused this. It reminds me of that, um, that David Bohm, you know, the observer affects the observed. And so it was kind of uh, incredulous to them that just watching the phenomenon, you know, like you said, I think Kim was saying in the beginning, there's no, there's not a vacuum where we can do these studies. Right. And then the slightest, like just watching it changes it. And even always, the, everything's always dependent on the observer and, and the tools, you know, whatever tools we're using for perception and measurement and analysis and the conceptual tool, tools we're using, they give us concepts like temperature, right? Um, degrees centigrade, or those are all constructs. We agreed together that there were such things and that we would use them. Well, you think about the, this practice about kind of exploring the underlying causes or potential causes, um, you know, that in itself can affect the future conditions, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, that's, that's the premise of practice. And furthermore, your practice is not just a cause of some future effect. Those future effects are the cause of your behavior now. So that's the thing that's really hard for people to get, that causality is not linear. It doesn't just go in one direction. You're being affected by the outcomes. And Dogen talks about that in uh, Self-Fulfilling Samadhi, you know, because the Buddhas and ancestors, because your, your own enlightenment at whatever point that happens, helps you now in your practice. So it, it, you know, Buddhism blows the doors off all linear notions of causes. And, uh, and yet we continue to exist, you know, in a world that insists on linear causality and we ourselves depend on it all the time because it's what we were taught. It's how our perception is shaped. It's how our assumptions were created. Would it be similar to the idea that, that our death, our individual death is part of our consciousness? And so we can't, ex that's part of our experience of life, our imagined death or the inevitability of our death. Everything is a product of our consciousness. So, so it's our as real as, as anything happening now. Our consciousness is, is putting together what's essentially sets of vibrations and creating meaning structures out of them. And that we are evolved to do in evolutionary terms. To scan the horizon with our <coughs> sense organs, which receive certain limited bandwidth of vibration. And this is the visual spectrum and this is the audio spectrum that we can pick up. It's very limited. The so their, but the horizon is our, the past, present, and future. Everything we can imagine or remember or... That's a construct. Remember. Past, present, and future are a construct. They themselves are things that need to be explained, right? Or defined, yeah. Right, yeah. So 
This is very destabilizing for the egoic mind, I, I will tell you, because you have a very <laughs> deep sense of groundlessness. But it's also quite freeing. And you realize, um, I'm the Buddha of this present moment. There is no other Buddha of the present moment than this Buddha, the Buddha I inhabit, the Buddha that I am, the Buddha I keep expressing in the world. And um, it doesn't actually exist. So, uh, so it's what Musong calls this provisional floating center that we're always manifesting, it's always unfolding. And that means there's infinite potential because we can always come forth in some new, entirely new way. So we tend to be um, uh, very credible for our own conditioning. So our own conditioning shapes what we perceive and experience um, because we believe it not because that's what experience is. So, I know that's a lot. Yeah. Olivia, are you wanting to say something and you, you're muted? There you go. No, I was just, the, it's a beautiful image, thought, uh, gorgeous. I, I really wanna take that in and work with it. Good. Yeah, I'm happy if it just uh, throws you for a loop now, you know, as you think about it. <laughs> because it certainly did for me when I encountered these teachings. Um, <clears throat> it just knocked the props out of everything. And, and that was actually turned out to be a good thing because my view was too small and it was too limited. So let this open your mind and expand your sense of potential and possibility infinitely. I was curious what Marie wanted to say since she didn't get to speak. Oh, that's fine. <laughs> it was a bizarre experience talking about cause and effect. It was quite an example of it, really. I go into a room, I'll get zoomed in a bit later. And there's two people already talking. I say hello, I believe they've heard me. Oh, and then no. they carry on. Then they carry on talking with each other. Ignoring um, you. Yeah, and I, I'm, thinking, I'm thinking, oh, well, I'll, I'll just sit and listen and, and take it in. And, but it, it got more kind of curiouser and curiouser. And I was thinking, <laughs> and then I'm thinking, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, maybe, maybe the, you know, all kinds of things go through your mind from a reaction to something. And it's interesting yes. to watch what happens in in that situation and I left feeling a bit sad because I was kind of I start I noticed I started to feel a bit sad thinking oh well these probably know each other really well and I'm new <laughs> and maybe they just want to have this and and all the time the whole time they didn't see me they couldn't see me or hear me <laughs> you, did, you didn't and you didn't know that your video wasn't on I know it was on and the microphone was on but for some reason because I was zoomed in later they uh -huh. couldn't see me and there was a so I had not I could see all three of us on the screen like you would normally uh -huh. so it looked like a normal session oh no but they well, both couldn't see Joel me. Joel and Nelda are on the are on phones so with phones you have to sweep to see the whole ah, now that explains a lot doesn't yeah. it yeah. the cause of that was that they were on their phones oh i <laughs> see I, I have not oh, done no. this on, i haven't done this on phone oh no 
although well, on my phone I can see up to four people on the screen. So I, that's why I didn't understand why we didn't see Maria because. <laughs> yeah, it was it was a very bizarre experience. But when I came yes. in, I came in at the point where Joel said, I said, hello. And Joel said, I'll just start from the beginning again. So that was my cue to think he'd seen me. Oh, oh no. <laughs> it must have just been something he was saying and so it was all yeah so cause and effect was all over the place <laughs> oh you know that's such a funny feeling to not be seen when yeah. you're, you're right there yeah it's yeah. very strange yeah it was like re, re um redoing a scene from years you know early years <laughs> yeah but that, but that little bit of when you were that little bit of and it seemed like we were deliberately excluding you which yeah yeah, yeah. that's terrible yeah, yeah. So that leads that that sense of sadness, right? Yeah, I, I just yeah. gradually began to feel more sad and couldn't understand. Yeah. So it just seemed that you know what I thought was happening wasn't what was happening. There was something else causing what I was oh, seeing. Oh no! Oh you no! You know what I mean? It was all over. oh the amazing yeah. real exercising cause and effect. <laughs> so strange. Oh, Maria, we uh, we hear you and see you now. We hear you and see you. Oh, hear you. you. <laughs> <laughs> I feel joyful like now. Thank you. <laughs> and most of all, it's all about an illusion, because yeah. that we are all here together is an illusion. Right. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> right. But it's a good one. I'm glad yeah. to hear from so. you. So let's let's do service. We're running really late, and it's early because it's not as long. But uh, but let's do service, and then we can finish. <clears throat>